It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm so excited about today's guest, not just because he's kind, funny, and smart as they come, but also because he has this awesome sense of style that includes wearing hats. I feel like we bond over the shared love of headwear. And of course, you can see Charles Payne as the host of Fox Business Network's Making Money with Charles Payne, weekdays, 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern. He also provides easy-to-understand financial analysis across FBN and Fox News Channel. And I say that because finance can be very complicated. And when Charles is on television talking about the markets, I always stop and listen because I know I'm going to learn something. And of course, he is so entertaining and funny, always bringing such great energy and personality, which is exactly what he did today with the podcast. So let's get to it, shall we? Welcome Charles Payne to the Janice Dean podcast. Charles Payne, you made the Dean's List. So great. What an accomplishment. I'm putting that at the top of my resume. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, we keep talking about it. I know it's going to happen. We're going to get some kind of like, not diploma, but some kind of evidence that you made today's Dean's List. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I like that. Okay, good. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a long time because, you know, I love you as a person. I've known you for many years. Uh, You are a snappy dresser. You love to wear hats. So I feel like we have a kinship there. But every time I watch you on TV, I I do watch because you bring an energy to your subject, which is usually business and finance and making money. Um, and I think you just make it interesting. Thank you. And, Thank you. and I think that that is so important for anybody, anybody's profession. Make it interesting. Make me want to find out more. You know, and, and it's so critical, particularly when it comes to uh, self-improvement, uh, financial self-improvement, investing in the stock market. And it's been so important in my life. And it's uh, sort of like I was blessed to be able to find this when I was a teenager. Yeah. Tell me about that. So let me, all right. So I had two childhoods. Okay. Uh, the first childhood was uh, on army basis. Yes. My father was in the military and it was just absolutely wonderful. Uh, I mean, we moved a lot, yep. which I loved. You know, some people, you know, I, I loved it. Uh, I was born in New York. We lived in Pittsburgh, then Texas, then Germany, then Pittsburgh, then Japan, then wow. Texas, then Alabama, North Carolina, Virginia. And then in Virginia, you know, we had a two-story house, beautiful lawn, um, go outside, play all day long, come home, make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, go back out and play all day. <laughs> it was just, it was an amazing life. Uh, then one day I came home from school, my mom said, we're leaving. Wow. So it was me and my mom and my two younger brothers. So we got on a bus. And we went from Fort Lee, Virginia, our two-story house with a door we never had to lock on an Army base, uh, and we drove up to uh, Harlem. Oh, wow. And this was in the early 70s when it was like the poorest, most dangerous neighborhood in America. So it was instant culture shock. Wow. Yeah, instant culture shock. And it was just, you know, the the, the tidal wave of things uh, that happened. Uh, yeah, and, and part of it was exciting as, you know, you know, seeing, uh, getting on a subway train for the first time, the Iron Horse, and uh, coming out that train station, I'll never forget the first day, 
all those people, the amount of energy was absolutely phenomenal. The music, oh my goodness, Janice, the music, it was coming from everywhere, right? Every car that went by was pumping music. Yeah. Uh, every window that was open was pumping music. Then there was the boom boxes, right? And I'm like, what? And then I'm hearing music like, you know, listen, I was I was rocking like Elton John, Philadelphia yeah. Freedom, which is cool. But of course. I started hearing Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes. Who are these people, right. right? And so it was just so exciting. Then I'm walking down the hill. I see these girls jumping rope. I never saw that before. Double Dutch. Yeah. Um, so that stuff was so beautiful and so exciting and so creative. But then came the other side of the equation right. that we definitely weren't prepared for. And that was the poverty and the violence. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And so I was I was the oldest. Yeah. And it, at first, all four of us lived in a room in an apartment and a, and a childhood friend of my mom's. And then after a few months, we got our own place. And that first winter, I'd say 95 percent of the time we had no heat or hot water. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Were you in touch with your dad at the time? Not really at the time. I mean, you know, we eventually you know, I would call and speak to him occasionally. Right. Um. But not not a lot, not okay. a lot, you know. Um, uh, I, you know, I I I never thought about money a day in my life. But mm-hmm. we've never been like that poor. Like you know, military doesn't pay you a lot, but we had a car. Security. Right. We had a car. We always had food. It was never. I I never worried about money. Yeah. I never. I didn't think about it because you know we had everything. Right. Um, and then we had nothing. And for your mom to just say, "I got to do this. Yeah. I'm doing this." Yeah. Yeah. So I was the oldest, and I just felt like I was thrusting into a position of having help. And my first gig, I would get um, paper towels and Windex and go down to the stop signs or the red lights and clean windows. Okay. And, you know, whatever change I could get. Uh, Not long, though, afterwards, I got a job in a bodega, which is really, really tough. I mean, it's, you know, we show a lot, like we have these stories that go on about crime in cities. Yep. And a lot of it's not new for me. Mm-hmm. I think it's new for our audience in the sense that we haven't had cameras everywhere. Mm-hmm. But some of the things I'm seeing, I had to deal with. <laughs> this guy owned a bodega, and then he bought a little store next to it. He let me run it. Oh my goodness! I had a crowbar. I was fighting people every day. It was <sighs> it was pure hell. I was afraid every single day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my husband is from Brooklyn, and he tells me <laughs> stories. It's like, oh my gosh, this is like out of a movie, <laughs> right? Right, like. Right. Uh, Fires and uh, garbage cans, and you know, g- gunfire down the street. I've seen people murdered. Uh, oh I've my seen people, gosh. and this is a little kid. I, you know, I saw I've, I saw two murders, and one of them really blew my mind because not long after, a few years later, I, when I joined the Air Force, they were teaching us some some first aid things, and I learned that maybe I could have someone in the crowd maybe could have saved this guy's life. He got shot in the chest. Yeah, and I, it was so interesting to me because he wasn't bleeding much, but it was a sucking air wound. That if you if someone had put like credit card or a driver's license on it, it might have saved his life. But who knew? Wow! And uh, I mean, I've seen people stomped, beaten. Oh. Uh, the most vicious thing I think I saw probably was a stabbing right in oh. front of me because it was so crazy. The guy got stabbed, and he ran down the. I mean, this is I. You want to talk the sheer terror when someone runs? This guy ran down the Broadway. You know how big Broadway is. Yep. He ran into a moving bus. He ran straight into a moving bus. That's how afraid he was. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, we we grew up in that. And so my whole thing was how do we get out of it? Yeah. You know, and so I'm hustling. Every time I make money, I come home and I give it to my mom. Mm. And finally, I'm like, you know, most people, like most people, I equated money with the stock market. You. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, we all do that at no, some point. I no, I don't know what didn't. that is. No, you didn't. Uh, you didn't think of like How money, Wall do- Street. No, well, maybe because you were living right, maybe in an I lived area. In New York. But no, me, I grew up in Canada. I'm like, what? I oh, still okay. don't really okay. know what the stock market is. Yeah, I mean, every time I would see a movie, there was like, you know, stock market, you know, okay. you know, ticker tape and stuff. So yeah. I just kind of said stock market. But I didn't know where to start. So I would go to, to newsstands and get it the Wall Street Journal. Okay. All right, I got to be honest with you. I stole the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> <laughs> I had okay. no money. Now, what th- age was this? Uh, 12. 12, 13. 12, 13, you're thinking about the stock market. I'm thinking about how to get out of this poverty. Okay. Like, And I'm just thinking like, okay, I've seen these movies. I've seen all these rich people in these movies, you know. And they, you know, they're, they're they're in the gentleman's club and they're talking about how the market closed. They're smoking cigars, right? I mean, wow. just whatever. So I would get the journal and it was so hard to read. Uh, if you ever get a chance, just check out a, like a 1973 Wall Street Journal. Okay. It's nothing but lines and numbers. Okay. Ugh. Yeah. And so it took me a long time, but I finally started figuring it out. And what was the light bulb moment where you went, oh, I get it? You know, I just, it's just, I'm not sure the exact moment, but the thing started making sense. Okay. You know, up, down, close, open, shut. Okay. Okay. I'm looking at, and I'm looking at the one I have from like maybe four days earlier because I didn't get it every day, right? I get it yeah. every three or four days. I grab a journal, literally. <laughs> Did you ever get caught? No, listen, here's the thing. This skinny black kid, right? Now, if I was over by the Snickers or the candy, they'd be watching me like a hawk. But I'm by the journal. They're like, hey, he ain't going to steal no journal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so so it was cool. <laughs> so, you know, so then it started to click a little bit. And then finally I said, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. Who are you? Are you telling your friends, like? Not hey, really. Man, look at this Wall Street no, Journal. No, not really. But when it started to click, I said, okay. And then I did finally tell my mom I, when I was 14, um, I said, I'm going to work on Wall Street. What'd she say? She said, no, she was the only person who believed me. Wow. Like, I called my dad and right. I said, Daddy, I'm going to work on Wall Street. He said, man, I saw it on TV. Ain't nothing but a bunch of white people throwing paper in the air. <laughs> I ain't seen no black people down there. <laughs> so, I mean, I had no encouragement, oh. none from anyone except my mother. Okay. Yeah. And then how did you? go that route well you know i kept learning and kept studying and then i you know i was always a a, a big time i always loved news right mm-hmm. and 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 so um eventually I, I ran into someone who worked on wall street and i bought my first mutual fund okay I, because i'd always hustled always had a summer job always had a job if i wasn't every year i got lucky because you know, i have a certain an allotment of summer jobs yes and for whatever reason i always got one uh and then when i wasn't doing a summer job i'd do some sort of side hustle okay and um, so I had cash and I needed a thousand bucks. I had a thousand bucks and I bought my first mutual fund when I was 17. Wow. My mother had to co-sign. <gasps> yeah. Why the mutual fund? It was just, you know, at the time what you know, I heard was the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought a mutual fund, but then I joined the Air Force when I was 17. Okay. And then uh, and when I was 18 years old, I bought my first stock, oh. which was a company called MCI. MCI. And, and the communications place, right? Yep. Right now, here was the here was the great thing about MCI at the time because later on it became a scandal stock, but then I was drawn to it because the CEO was taking on the most powerful company in the world, and I've always been, you know, like I feel like I'm the underdog. I want to go with this guy. Yeah, and essentially he was kind of like piggybacking off people's rooftop antennas to go against AT and T. Wow, and I'm like I'm with this dude. You oh. know? and the stock did very well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was my first stock. And then what happened? I was in the Air Force for four years, got out, and uh, I got a job at EF Hutton. Okay. 
and uh, it was it was great. Let me tell you something. So you know, life is interesting. I got when I got out to the Air Force, I was married. My daughter was like a few months old, mm-hmm. and really, she was one month, two months old, and it's, history repeated itself. Me, my wife, and my daughter lived in a room yep. in someone's apartment in Harlem. Oh. And uh, I got a couple, you know, I was working two jobs, you know, doing a lot of hustling, going down, uh, trying to get a job on Wall Street. And, um, you know, I finally got it. You know, the phone rang and the guys whose apartment it was, he's, you know, I went down to the kitchen and it was still probably ranks in one of the top 10 happiest moments of my life. Wow. I got my first job on Wall Street, 13000 a year before yeah. taxes. Now, I always tell people, if you looked at the organizational chart, like, you know, and you start at the top with the CEO, yep. you go all the way down to the bottom, <laughs> and then you flip it over, and then you saw my name. <laughs> but, but that's what but you I do. But I was on it. Right. Right. And I, you know what? What was your tasks? What did you have to do? I was really going over trades for other people, like okay. and making sure it was more of a compliance job, really, than anything else. Okay. Um, but the good news is that where it was located, first of all, it was EF Hutton, and, and it was it was a, a, a few buildings from the headquarters. Okay. So I spent a lot of time at the headquarters, but more importantly, I was able to walk around and ask questions. Mm. And you know, I learned early on that very successful people love to share their story. Yes. And so you know, hey, what's that? Uh, come here, kid. Let me show you how it works. Uh huh. And you know, the M two money supply and this and that and like. <laughs> so people love to share that stuff with me. You know. And I'm doing a job. It was it was great in the sense that I wanted to do stuff and research and all that. But um, you know, I, I wasn't making a lot of money. Okay. And I and I had an opportunity. Um, someone I knew was working at a small brokerage firm. Uh huh. And so I went to meet the manager there, and they said, "Well, you know, we will sponsor you for the test, but you've got to pass it, and um, you know, to become a broker." Okay. So I'm like, okay, you know, cool, and. I got some research material. I'm working two jobs. Uh, I'm going home. I'm, I'm studying this. And I had a friend at E.F. Hutton. E.F. Hutton wouldn't sponsor me at the time. But I had a friend who was being sponsored at E.F. Hutton. So he was taking a, a legitimate course. Okay. So we um, one day invited me to the course. Now, the test back then, I'm not sure if it's still the case, was always on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. This was at Murray, Murray Bertram High School in the Wall Street area. Okay. So it was a Wednesday. I went with them. And the people were really nice. They said, oh, come on in. You can sit in with us. And they gave out practice tests, and there was a bunch of them. And I, I was getting like 73, okay. 75s. So the instructor looked at it and said, listen, the test is on Saturday, so there's no way you're going to pass it. Oh. But you should take our course. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at him, smiling, and in the back of my mind, I said, my man, you don't know me. <laughs> i just like, okay, yeah, sure. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, my man, you just don't know me. <laughs> so I called in sick the next two days. I went to my mother's apartment because she had a big kitchen table. Okay. And I moved everything and put all my all of my material there and just studied. Yes. For the next two days. So I took the test. Uh, it's a six-hour test. I finished in less than four hours. One person finished before me. I knew I blew it away. I knew I blew it away. I just crushed it. And so, you know, in this firm on Saturday, sometimes people were going to, um, to work. So I left Murray Burcham. And I walked over to the office and I was singing a song by Stevie Wonder <laughs> called Overjoyed. I don't, yeah. So there's a line in that song that says, and though the odds say improbable, what do they know? Oh. And that's all I sang my whole way to the office. Oh, and when I got wow. there, the manager says, how do you think you did? I said, I crushed it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I became a broker. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
So, I mean, that is fascinating to me that you knew at a young age what you wanted to do. I mean, do you ever think about what you would be doing if you weren't doing this? If I, well, I don't know. If I, I, I know I wanted to be a businessman. Yeah. Uh, I was the kid who... Saw a I, briefcase. Yeah, right, right. I had, uh, even before my parents uh, separated, the Christmas, that last Christmas with my dad, uh, I got a desk. I wanted a desk for, for my birthday. Wow. I mean, for Christmas. Yeah. So I got a desk and a chemistry set. Okay. So I wanted to be a businessman. Mm-hmm. You know, I always wanted to have a, a, a plaque with my name that said president of the company on the front of my desk. <laughs> And I used to draw these smokestacks. I always thought I'd own factories. Oh. Know? Yeah, yeah. And, and my goal was to hire a lot of people. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think I would have been in business somehow. But, you know, without seeing that kind of, without being thrust into that sort of position, though, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to imagine I would have been able to, to do what I've done. I had to be pushed down so much and, mm. and have to help my mom and my and, so I, I learned how to take serious risk. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a, a bold risk taker. Okay. Um, and I learned never not to be afraid of anything. Like if I had an easier life, I probably, I, you know, I think I would have been successful, but nowhere near where I am now. Wow. Yeah. What was the biggest learning moment for you when you look back? Oh, golly. It's so tough, Janice, to, to find one thing. Um, I'm I'm not even sure. There's just been so many. I had I've had so I had so many failures. I've had bankruptcy. Um, I've had near bankruptcy. You know, I, I've trusted people and been stabbed in the back. It's just so 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 hard to know one particular thing. Mm-hmm. I think the thread through it all is it's just never give up. Like there were times I had no clue how I was going to make it through. Wow! Like no clue. Yeah. Like and I thought, okay, this is it. It's over. And somehow it wasn't. Yeah. I feel that, you know, the biggest learning moments are the failures, right? Th- those, that's yeah. when you learn the most. Yeah. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. And so, how did you come to Fox? So, I got, uh, I, was, I was at this, um, at EF Hutton, then I went to the brokerage side of the business okay. at a small brokerage firm, uh, which was 100% commission. Oh. Talking about taking risk. <laughs> so, I, I passed the test. Uh, their headquarters is in Colorado. I went out there for some training for three weeks, and I came back and said, okay, good luck. There's a phone. In the back of the office, they had a bunch of old yellow pages, and I was going through them. And I learned early on I would call, like, these names that were hard to pronounce because they hadn't been called a million times. Oh, wow. And it was okay. You know, like, I'd rather have someone get upset I mispronounced the name, but I was the first person to call them rather than Smith, and I was the one millionth person to call them. Good point. That's yeah. smart. Yeah. I'd say a great one of my great early, early uh, learning points or turning points. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, in, I'm doing this for about a week. So I call a, uh, a lawyer in New York, and I read the pitch. And he says to me, well, you read very well, but what do you want? Oh, wow. An epiphany went off. Yeah. So he actually opened an account with me, and after the phone call, I tore up the pitch, the script. I tore it up. And so from now on, I'm just going to talk to people. Yes. 
Yeah. That's so, really important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you do that on your show too. Yeah. I, and I people, try. I think people know that. Yeah. Right. Because you can tell when somebody's just kind of reading the teleprompter right. and they're not really. And they don't really know, right? You know, exactly yeah. what they're saying, you know, or when. For me, it's really important when the guests come on. Yeah. Because it's easy to BS guests on the financial markets. <laughs> it really, you know, it's a, it's a four or five minute interview. Right. And, you know, I'm fighting against things like people saying, oh, I'm taking the barbell approach. Like, what the hell is that? What come is on. that? I'm buying quality stocks. What is that? Like, who the hell? I mean, just <laughs> you know, don't come in here with that CNBC crap. You know, let's we're, we're, we're going to help people. We're going to educate them the right way. You know, so um, the only problem with the brokerage firm I was working at, though, is and this is what I learned early on. I had romanticized being a broker as someone who would go home. You would do your research on your own, and you would find these ideas for your clients. Okay. I did that. Yep. I found a company called Burroughs Welcome, and they were they had advanced um, they made advanced progress on a new drug called AZT for a new disease called AIDS. Oh wow! And I said, this looks really good. Oh. So I was opening new accounts on Burroughs Welcome. Okay. And I brought in a lot of money, but when payday came around, I got nothing. I got like nothing. And the people who were selling like the crappy in-house stocks, yeah, they made a fortune. Wow! I mean, I remember these guys. They they, they got the limo, they had the, the cocaine, they had everything. Right, right like Wall Street. Yeah, and movie. I'm like, you know, I was just like, listen, I ain't got nothing, but could you at least drop me off in front of my <laughs> building? At least they think I did. So <laughs> see me getting out of limo, <laughs> and I got a limo with four dollars in my pocket. <laughs> and so I did. I did end up selling the crappy stuff and I felt bad about it. Oh. I really did. I ended up, I had, my daughter was, when I got my next check, my daughter had been in the same diapers for 24 hours. They were soaking wet. They were soiled. We had one can of food. So I had to sell the crappy stuff. Uh, and, and it's something, I'm, you know, you, you feel ashamed about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, um, you know, it wasn't the best stocks that I could be selling people. And, and I made a lot of money selling the crappy stuff. So, Eventually, I took my knowledge of what the brokerage industry really was yeah. and my passion for research and started my own firm, mm -hmm. my own research firm. Okay. Yeah. And so you did that. But how did you get in the oh, door so of broadcasting? My, so I have my own research firm. Yep. I, by the way, I still have it. And um, I don't know. It's growing. <laughs> it's so crazy because I started. It's just me. Yeah. So I was the researcher and a salesman. <laughs> In the daytime, I was the salesman. There was this big book called a red book with all the names of all the brokers in the country. I would call that all day long yeah. and pitch my stuff. And then at night, I'd do the research. And just it started to grow. I started to get clients and it started to grow. I got an office on Wall Street, hire people. And I'm, you know, I'm building a little bit of a reputation. The next thing I know, CNBC calls me up. Yeah. They say, we want you to come on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You gotta see Charles' oh, face. I mean, it was so beautiful. So, <laughs> I, I go on CNBC, and then at the time, you know, there, nothing could touch it. Right? There was no competition. Right. Uh, and uh, Neil Cavuto was over there. Oh wow! Yeah. And so, you know, Neil's a beautiful, just a beautiful human being, and um, he he left not long after for this thing called Fox. Mm -hmm. I thought he was crazy. But tell me about that first interview. How did it feel? With it felt Neil, so listen, good. Neil makes anybody feel great. Yeah, Neil's Neil's great. Neil's great. They were all pretty good. I mean, there was a couple of them who were arrogant, you know, whatever. Um I I it just I was on cloud nine, yeah. you know, and and they called they kept calling me back and one technique I did use that helped me a lot is I would always go a little bit beyond what they were asking. Okay. And I would 
kind of slip in that I knew more. Like, so ah. let's say the question was about semiconductors. Yes. So I would say something like, uh, you know, the semiconductor may see a shortage in vehicles because, and then I was switching to let them know I know about vehicles and consumers. Ah. Even though, like, I always brought in the answer. Okay. And I, and it worked because then they would say, oh, this guy knew a little bit about that. So they started bringing me in on more things. Okay. So I was getting on a lot. Yep. You know, and it was great. I mean, listen, I, you know, I, I, I walked back, I came back to the office the first day and the phone was ringing, phones were ringing off the hook. Oh, wow. Off the hook. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it was, it was amazing. So it was a nice thing. And, you know, again, Neil left to this thing called Fox. And I remember the first time his team called and said, you know, Neil wants you to come on the show. I was like, oh, oh boy, I don't know. Fox, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, what the hell? Uh, All right, I'll do it. What the hell? This Fox thing. I get to this building, and at the time. And this is at the very beginning. At the very beginning. Right. I was going to tell you, I take the escalator down to the basement, and I'm saying, oh boy. Yeah. I get in the studio, it's like dark, and like you ain't got no lights. Right. I'm at the table, I think I was missing a leg. I'm holding part of the table up with my knee. (laughs) And the whole time I'm looking at Neil saying, my man, you done messed up. (sighs) In my mind, I'm like, whoo, you messed up big time. So you would, you. Probably wouldn't have invested in the stock called Fox. No, no, not at that particular time. No, I'm looking at my man, Neil. I'm telling you, in the back of my mind, I'm like, you really blew it. (laughs) You really blew it. And then? Uh, You know, it was cool. We had a good interview and, you know, it started asking to come more and more. You know, so there was a time I would do Fox, CNBC, CNN had a thing they tried for a while called FN, Financial Network, CNN, FN. Yep. Uh, and then eventually, uh, then um, one time, one of the producers at Fox pulled me over and said, we want to make you a contributor. Okay. And uh, I was like, okay, you know, so you get a paid contributor every time you're on, you get a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, cool. You yeah. know, and it, that was adding up pretty good. Right. You know? And then you get your name with your company on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so I became a contributor at Fox and, and just, you know, one thing led to another, led to another. They developed a business network. And, um, you know, then eventually I got my own show on the business channel. I love it. And you were yeah. telling me how you prepare for the show. I mean, you prepare months in advance. I'm always in preparation mode uh, because I'm a researcher, you know. And, and again, one of my biggest advantages is I've been doing this for uh, going on almost four decades. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not something I don't go in and, and put a finger in the air. Like, I, I, I right now have my own research firm and my goal is to make people money in the stock market. Hmm. And, and so I know all of the mistakes that everybody makes. Yeah. I know all of their fears. I know everything that, that stops people from making money in the market. Like what? You know, let's say uh, taking a shot. They'll buy one stock. Okay. See how it does. Invariably, you, know, you know, you take one shot at a time and one of them is not going to work out and yeah. you stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they buy the wrong things for the wrong reasons. They hold for the wrong, you know, they actually make the market harder than it has to be. Okay. People do. Um uh, and then, uh, as a consumer of financial news as well, I've seen all of the things that I think are mistakes, um, particularly when trying to articulate a message to to the masses. Yes. Uh, and even to this day, I just uh, uh, one one big thing that happened a few years ago in the so-called meme mania. I would see uh, these people go on on TV, particularly CNBC, and call these call people who are buying these stocks dumb, stupid, dumb money. And it just bothered the hell out of me. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, first of all, Janice, there's no foolproof way to invest in the stock market. Uh-huh. I can tell you right now, uh, stocks that 20 years ago was supposed to be foolproof, AT&T, um, Chevron, 
Uh, I mean, the, the list of blue chip General Electric was the number one stock in the world. Mm-hmm. These stocks got crushed. Crushed. If you held them for 20 years, you got crushed. You wasted 20 years of your life. Oh, wow. So, you know, whenever someone talks like talks down about this, yeah, there's certain risks associated, which are greater than others, but there's no foolproof way. Yeah. And so to to dis to to disrespect the audience, mm-hmm. uh, and so I've always felt like that was a huge mistake, uh, and I hate when I see people do it, uh, and I've seen it on all networks, you know, but particularly CNBC. Um, so as a consumer of financial news, as someone who learned really through self education, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I consider I'm a perennial student of the market. I'm always going to be a student of the market. Uh, I've, I've been able, I've tried to craft my show based on that. Yeah. Uh, and just my passion for, for the market. And, and because the stock market delivered me from a life of poverty, delivered me from a life of potentially unknown hardships. Although I won't say unknown because I've had so many people who've died that I, my same age, uh, I had a friend two weeks ago who died, uh, from drugs. You know, he's my age, but and he lived a long time compared to many others I grew up with. Yes. Uh, viol- you know, shot, killed, poverty or, you know, dead end jobs. I have so many friends. They're struggling. You know, I have a friend uh, just the other day. He's, uh, you know, I spoke to him and he was depressed because, you know, he, he had to pay his taxes. It was $3,000 and that was all the money he had. Oh. And, you know, it's just like, golly, you know, I won't even tell him how much I paid for my last watch. Right. You know, yes. but. That could have been my life. Yeah. So I have this strong desire to help everybody uh, live a better life. And it's not about getting rich. My goal is to, is to get your platform a little bit higher to change the arc of your family. Okay. So that you build a higher platform for your children to be able to reach certain goals, particularly towards prosperity, which is, you know, can give you a certain amount of freedom. Yes. So it's not about getting in the market to get rich per se, but changing the arc of the family going forward enough that it makes a distinct difference, mm-hmm. you know? So and listen, I, I, I gave a speech in Chicago a couple of weeks ago and it was, and they wanted me to tell my story. And I think I spent 70% of the story talking about my grandparents and my mom, Wow! because that's where the story begins. Not yes. with me. Right. And my grandfather, a black man in Alabama who bought a farm with from some pigs and some hay and he lived through what black people had to live through, particularly in the you know, 50s, 40s, 50s, and 60s mm-hmm. in the farms. I mean, I would go visit them in the 70s, and they had no heat, no electricity, no running water. Yeah. And, you know, I was a little snobbish. You know, I'm a little army brat kid. I'm a snobbish. I didn't want to go down there. And I was embarrassed as a man as a, the things I started to realize and recognize about how distinguished my grandparents were. But I couldn't see it back then. Wow. And their achievements. and. They took a platform. They built a platform for my mother to learn from and that she built for me, even though she didn't have much. Yes. She instilled certain things inside of me. And that, you know, so that's my goal with my, with this, with the show. And, and in general, my big goal is to help people sort of change the trajectory mm-hmm. uh, of their life and certainly in the lives of the people that come after them. Right. And not like be a snob about it. Right. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast. Right after this, the big R, the recession. Yeah. What do you think? I, I think I think we have a chance to to not hit it if the Federal Reserve were to stop hiking interest rates. But okay. 
I just don't know. I mean, this Federal Reserve is, is Jay Powell, who's the chairman of the Federal Reserve, bothers me a lot. Why? He's so enamored right now, I think, with his legacy. Ugh. And I think he cares about how he looks among his peers. Yeah. And so there was a guy in the 70s named Arthur Burns who ran the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. And we had runaway inflation, the air, air oil embargo and those kind of things. And he hiked rates and then he stopped. And then inflation took off. So they replaced him with a guy named Paul Volcker who became a legend. Yep. Six foot eight, cigar smoking dude, you know. I mean, he had all the swagger in the world. Right? He'd go in front of Congress with a cigar, right? <laughs> and so he hiked rates, and he kept hiking them. And he crushed every. I mean, you know, he crushed everything. It was almost like when someone has uh, chemotherapy, you know, and the, and the mm-hmm. patient almost passes away. Yep. This was what he did to the economy. Wow. He killed inflation, but he killed a lot of things with it. And so we've got Jay Powell, who wants to be Volcker 2.0. Yeah. He doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Our economy now is really starting to come down quickly. Okay. All all facets of it. All facets. The only thing holding on is jobs. But even that's sort of misleading if you consider how many jobs we lost during the pandemic. We're right. not that much more above where we were in, in the fourth quarter of 2019. Mm. So I just, I, if, 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 if Jay Powell keeps hiking rates, he's going to create an economic disaster. Mm. And then on top of that, you know, we've got the kind of spending that just out of D.C., that actually helped to spark this runaway inflation in the first place. Yeah. Um, that that's mind-boggling. So there's a lot of if we do go into a deep recession, it will be a, one of the biggest unforced errors in the last generation. Wow, you're not a political person. I'm political, but I, I'm a I'm a registered independent. Okay. You know, I remember when I when I uh, 145th Street on the corner of 145th Street, they were doing a registered uh, uh, voter drive. Yes. And, uh, you know, I was 17 years old and they were like, you know, they were trying to get everyone to be signed up as a Democrat. And I said, I want to be an independent. Mm. You know what? I just changed my driver's license to no party. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I, because I feel like I'm kind of homeless. Right. right. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. I'm, you know, I, I voted third party more than once. Um, and I'm just so frustrated because I've, you know, I had, a, I had an instinct just living where I lived and knowing everyone had always voted Democrats that nothing changed. Like, you know, okay, you live in the same projects that your grandmother lived in, your mother yeah. lives in, now you live in there. Something ain't right. <laughs> and you keep voting for the same people. Something ain't right. I mean, right. I'm 17, but I could figure that out. Right. Uh, but since then, you know, I've been, been able to study this a lot and I love politics mm-hmm. in general. Right. Uh, but it's just that the establishment uh, has a way uh, of keeping us pitted against each other. Yes. The same people always win. Absolutely. The same people always lose. Yep. And they just take turns. This four years, Republicans are being charged. The next four years, Democrats in charge. Yeah. And the next four years, Republicans. And we go back and forth with this and not much changes mm-hmm. on the ground. I think both parties have been dishonest with their voters. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Republicans were able to talk a lot of folks in the Midwest who voted for them uh, into rubber stamping, like sending their jobs overseas, Mm. all in the name of fatter bottom lines for corporations, none of them headquartered in their city or state. Yeah, Democrats, you know, I think what they've done with education, uh, with crime, uh, you know, it's just they keep people stuck in poverty, misery, and fear. Their biggest weapon is fear. And so neither one of those, to me, feel like the ethos of America, what made us great in the first place. Yeah. You think yeah. we'll get back there? I think because I'm a hopeful person. I'm not sure how. Yeah. Um, I, um, 
they, they've made it so you know you need like five billion dollars to be president. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, because I mean, it just money, takes away. Yeah. you know, you, you can't have just your average guy that wants to do good right. and for the people. And then the and then the gotchaism. You know, I mean, you I know, know. you got to have like a perfect record. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, going back to third grade, like, yeah, hey, we heard true. about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man. I know. I know. I see that in you, though, that you are an optimistic person. Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah. And, you know, if one thing you can say is that when you go through hard times, there's nowhere up place to go but up. And you can also take advantage of making it better for somebody else if you can, right. if you have the means to do that. Right. Which is, I think, what you're trying to do as well with your show and your platform. It's what I, it's my main goal. It's, um, I was on the board of a, of a uh, charter school in the South Bronx for a while. I just joined the board of the Harlem Boys and Girls Club, Aww. which um, oh, Charles, oh, gonna make me cry. Well, uh, when I first moved to Harlem, that was like a, a refuge for me, and they sponsored the football team I played on, and it played a big role in me not, you know, getting involved in drugs or gangs and all that kind of stuff, and. I'd always helped them out, you know, always gave them money here and there. And then someone over there finally figured out, who is this guy? <laughs> well, you know what? A few years ago, uh, I got an email or something. They said, can you contribute? And so I sent them the money. And this woman calls up on the phone and she's crying. She said, you covered our whole budget. <sighs> and so I met with them a few times and I decided to join the board. It's, uh, it's, Tell me about that. I, I just joined. I just joined this year. Yeah. Uh, so I got some big goals in my mind and my heart. So. Good for you. Yeah. Aw, you're just the best, Charles. Yeah, thanks, you thanks. really are. I hope yeah. you'll come back on. Um, I admire you in many ways, and I always say when I see you on Fox & Friends, I do. I stop, and I watch, and I listen, and I learn. And, you know, I think that that, you know, that's rare. Uh, thanks. And you thanks have that quality, and you're just a good human being. Thanks a lot. And so thank you for doing this I today. appreciate it. Thanks, Janice. You're the best. Thanks, Charles. Thanks again to Charles for coming on today's podcast. Isn't he amazing? He really is the best. You can check out his show, Making Money with Charles Payne, weekdays, 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern on FBN. And you can also see him on Fox News, making business sound interesting and understandable for people like myself who have a very hard time understanding any of it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.